Hello, uh, everybody. Uh, I'm glad you're listening in to our uh, podcast about my new book on business licenses in the Netherlands. I'm here today with uh, Campbell Burns, my, uh, my colleague who will uh, join in, in the conversation uh, on the book. We'll discuss the main topics of the book, but we also will look uh, to the coming year, for example, to uh, the top five licenses we expect to be very interesting uh, for you in the Netherlands. And then we will also uh, let you know what Blenheim, my, uh, my firm, does for uh, companies in the Netherlands who are uh, looking for licenses in the Netherlands. I'll uh, start with a short introduction uh, on the book. Um, for certain activities in the Netherlands you, you need a license and companies in the EU have an advantage uh, of the directives of the EU and of course uh, a company outside the EU can uh, establish uh, a Dutch entity for example to profit from European law. Uh, law. In this book I discuss uh, the general procedures that are relevant to the application for a license in the Netherlands and the word business licenses is actually an umbrella term for all kinds of licenses available in the Netherlands and these licenses are actually uh, spread out in various acts and regulations. But they all share the same characteristic, characteristic and that is that they are subject to a general procedure for obtaining a license and that procedure is laid down in the General Administrative Law Act. And I will uh, mention a few specific uh, items about this procedure. When I'm talking about uh, licenses in the Netherlands, I will give you a few examples so you know what that's about. It's, for example, it concerns financial services, uh, building uh, a production facility, for example, or any building at all, uh, licenses for public transport or getting a taxi license, um, offering uh, a gambling uh, services, Growing cannabis, for example, is also uh, subject to licenses. Organizing a festival or a sports event, that's what we're talking about. Um, the main issue I deal with in the book is this formal procedure you uh, will uh, come into when you apply for a license. For example, if uh, my friend Campbell here would like to start a catering business in Amsterdam, then you uh, will uh, come into the license procedure and several licenses are actually involved. For example, first of all, you have to look at the zoning plan to see if a catering business is allowed there, if you start it from scratch. But then, of course, you will, uh, if you want to rebuild, you have to apply for an environmental license. You will need the catering license itself. You will always be um, checked for your integrity in the Netherlands. There will be a probity test uh, on your background and where the money is coming from. So uh, it's very helpful if um, you, first of all, look what uh, coming to you when you apply for a license. So always check, for example, the policy on, on catering, if we stick to that example. 
there's always a policy on uh, licenses you need and of course a lawyer or an advisor can help you out with that. Now a very important aspect which uh, is of influence in the Netherlands is the EU Services Directive. That directive has actually changed the procedures we work with in the Netherlands and I very often get the question what what does a company gain from this services directive? Well, first of all, the directive was implemented in the Netherlands with the Services Act. That was not a real good implementation, so we always look at the services directive itself. And uh, the, the uh, services directive actually ensures that we have transparent procedures in the Netherlands, which offer equal opportunities for uh, entrepreneurs, for businesses. And this also applies for businesses from outside the EU. And for example, incorrect licensing procedures can be tackled uh, by someone who uh, thinks that he's not uh, uh, dealt with properly by uh, the government. Uh, so yes, the Services Directive and the Dutch Act on Services is really helpful for you and uh, has several advantages. There are some main items dealt with in the directive, for example, the license procedure, procedures should be non-discriminatory. Um, it should be a necessary arrangement for licenses. It should be proportional. And uh, that can be very helpful if you are involved in a procedure. Another issue dealt with in the services directive is that if a license is not a scarce license, so there's an unlimited amount of these licenses available, that they can not be granted for a limited period of time. And that will be different if licenses are, for example, by their own nature, are, are limited uh, because, for example, there is scarcity of available natural resources or technical possibilities. And then we are talking about scarce licenses. And that's an interesting subject because usually these scarce licenses are very profitable, interesting, and they may be the ones you want to go for. Um, I'll just look at Campbell, actually, because he has been helping me with this book, because I'm not a native speaker and uh, he is. Hi, Mark. Nice so, to be here. Yeah, thank you that you're, that you're with us. And uh, I wonder, actually, what you uh, find peculiar or interesting about the Dutch license uh, procedures. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's one that I think you just touched on there, actually. And one thing I find particularly interesting in Dutch licensing law is its applicability to everyday life in the Netherlands. And this is most evident for me in the concept of scarce licenses, which you just discussed. This is also something that you went into in much more detail in your last book, The Battle for Scarce Licenses. Um, as you mentioned there, scarce licenses are in essence something that is limited for various reasons, whether it's lack of availability of public space, uh, natural resources, technical constraints, or public policy considerations. 
And I think the Netherlands is very well known internationally for being a very good utilizer of the limited space it has available. And scarce license are a good representation of this. For instance, in Amsterdam, the number of tour boats that can cruise the canals or the number of bed and breakfasts that can operate here are all subject to scarce licenses due to the limited space that we have available here. The same goes for food vendors throughout the country or beach pavilions that operate primarily throughout summer. And by the same token, also coffee shops that sell cannabis throughout the country are also subject to scarce licenses uh, at a national level due to public policy considerations. Because of the demand for these licenses often outstrips supply, uh, litigation concerning these scarce licenses, as I think you touched on just before, is quite common, uh, particularly regarding the particular procedures the licensing authority has to go through when distributing these. But I think how commonplace scarce licenses are in everyday life here and how you can see them operate, particularly in Amsterdam, make them an interesting concept and uh, the book goes into that into more depth. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Campbell. That's, uh, that sounds really good. Scarce licenses are really an interesting uh, uh, subject uh, also in this book and I've uh, written an, another book on that in Dutch actually. Um, I will deal with some issue, issues which you will encounter when you are involved in license procedures in the Netherlands and one of them, I already mentioned it, that's property screening. And in Dutch, it's called the Bebop Act. Uh, that's actually an abbreviation. And um, when you come across that word Bebop, then you're involved in integrity and integrity testing. And as, especially for the big licenses, you will uh, have to go to this uh, Bebop investigation and actually the government um, wishes to verify if you're not using the license for the wrong purposes and uh, they will check where your money is coming from who your shareholders are uh, so this integrity test is uh, for almost all the serious licensee licenses uh, effect of life and um, that uh, is probably the case in other countries as well so that's uh, not, not surprising, I think. Another issue which you may encounter is also issues on the anti-money laundering law, which comes from the EU directive. And that, that law is applicable for a lot of services, like financial services uh, for banks, lawyers, investment firms, firms, trust traders, they all will have to face uh, questions and forms to fill in uh, to, to, to check that there's no money laundering involved. Even if you start a business in Holland and you want to open a bank account, you may uh, have to ask and answer a lot of questions. Um, but uh, we can help you out with that. Uh, usually they're very long forms with questions you have to go through and sometimes that will raise questions you may, you may need some help with. Other issues you may be involved with are uh, maybe the transferability of a license. If you buy a company uh, here or you acquire shares of a company, there may be a license in this company uh, that will remain in this company when you take over the shares. but. If you uh, take over a company, then there's a change of ownership and possibly also of directors. 
and that means that you have to <coughs> sorry notify the licensing authority and that will again trigger integrity screening which is actually the normal procedures procedure a lot of issues you may uh, of actually the book also mentions are um, incomplete applications you will have to fill in forms you have to give a lot of information and and as soon as such an application is not complete the procedure will uh, be put on hold and that's not in your advantage so you really should be aware of the fact that if that is the case you should try and uh, make sure that your application is complete and that the procedure is running again before we move to the uh, the big licenses we expect to do very well this year there's uh, an issue i've dealt with in the book also that's litigation uh, there's a lot of litigation about licenses and uh, it's it's good for you to know i guess that if there's trouble with a licensing authority then there is of course the possibility that you look at your legal rights there and there are quite a few possibilities and one of these possibilities is that you can claim in summary proceedings an injunction from the administrative judge to help you out if a licensing authority is, is not doing what it should do and uh, that, may, that may be very helpful to uh, get things uh, going again. Um, I will now come to the licenses we expect to do well in the coming year. So we made a professional uh, top five of licenses, licenses and I will ask uh, Campbell uh, <coughs> to, join, uh, to join in there. I will, I will start with the, the number five. And uh, I think actually that will be the, <coughs> the events licenses. The events industry, of course, has to recover from a pretty bad year. And um, Holland is well known for its big events. Uh, for example, festivals are very popular. And we think that um, that will start off really once the uh, COVID is under control. And for example, if you want to organize a festival on the Museum Square in Amsterdam, then you uh, are involved in licenses. You may need quite a few licenses actually to do that. And um, this all depends on the municipality that uh, you're in. And if it, that's in Amsterdam, then they will know how to deal with that because there are a lot of events in Amsterdam. So yeah, I think event licenses will really hit off once uh, there is uh, space for that. And then um, the next uh, licenses that may be involved is something, uh, Campbell, you may uh, have a look at. Yeah, so I think uh, that's a good point with events licenses there, Mark. Hopefully we'll be able to see some this year as COVID uh, slowly drips away. But I think the fourth biggest uh, license we'll look at for 2021 is that for mergers and acquisitions. Uh, 2020 was a particularly tough year for the mergers and acquisitions market. The economic uncertainty created by COVID-19 resulted in many parties withdrawing from deals and other deals being postponed as it was unclear how COVID restrictions and government policies would be put into place. 
There was a fair bit of litigation that occurred at this time. One high-profile case in the Netherlands was heard in the Netherlands Commercial Court. Uh, it involved a Dutch holding company withdrawing from a deal worth around 169 million euros for shares in an equestrian show jumping company as account of COVID-19 as an example. However, uh, there's been evidence of a strong recovery of the M&A uh, market in the latter half of 2020. This is positive news. Um, the financial publication in the Netherlands, the FD, reported that at that time there were around seven major deals in the pipeline in the Netherlands, four of which were likely to be completed by the end of the year, including the sale of giant uh, supermarketing, supermarket and retailing uh, company Hema. There are a few reasons for this, one of which being a um, greater economic certainty as to which industries are affected by COVID-19 and which aren't, uh, another of which is a high amount of capital uh, contained within private equity firms ready to be invested in the European and Dutch market. But that's a bit on the recovery of the M&A market in terms of the actual licensing procedure uh, going about. Uh, this process, there are certain uh, certain mergers and acquisitions. Uh, a notification will need to be made to the Dutch Competition Authority, being the ACM, and it will be necessary in certain circumstances. These include, firstly, where the companies involved jointly realise a worldwide group turnover exceeding 113.45 million euros. Secondly, where at least two of those companies involved individually have a group turnover in the Netherlands of at least 30 million euros. And the transaction is not subject to a notification obligation with the European Commission on account, of, uh, on account of the amounts involved. Now, how to go about this actual process. So mergers are reported by completing a merger notification form. So within four weeks of receiving this form, the ACM uh, will inform the applicant whether a license is necessary for the transaction in question. And this will be the case if the ACM believes the transaction could affect effective competition in the Netherlands, especially by creating a dominant market position for one of the parties. And taking it back a step, in order to actually determine whether one of these merger notification forms is necessary, parties can ask the ACM for an informal opinion. And these informal opinions are then generally made public in an anonymized format. And these can also provide parties with more certainty as to what information to include in a notification form, as often not enough information is included. And this can be uh, very unideal for parties, as it might delay a potential transaction. From that point on, the ACM will assess uh, license applications against applicable competition law principles. Licenses can be refused, as was the case, for instance, in 2019, where Postonel uh, initially, when it uh, looked to purchase its competitor, Sand, and uh, licenses can also be granted, but subject to conditions. So that's a bit of an overview of M&A licensing this year. Um, and I might go to Mark for what we think the third biggest license off, uh, third biggest license this year would be, which is cannabis and CBD licenses. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Campbell. Number three, indeed, is uh, cannabis in, uh, in Holland. We think that will um, do well this year. First of all, uh, the coffee shops in Holland are allowed to sell uh, cannabis under strict conditions. And we've noticed that several municipalities are actually allowing more coffee shops. So that's interesting to have a look at. And then another interesting market is the, of course, the CBD products. Uh, CBD is a substance in cannabis and um, is a big industry uh, in, in the US. It's, it's doing uh, $17 billion, uh, I think. 
And we've noticed that a lot of products are coming to the market and uh, we as a firm help out these uh, companies to do uh, the regularly uh, compliance involved in these products, uh, especially because uh, CBD is regarded as a novel food and that means that extra uh, rules are applying. Then the next big thing on cannabis is that uh, there is an experiment in the Netherlands to grow cannabis uh, by uh, licensed growers. And the selection has already been done. So 10 growers are selected and as we are speaking they are going to uh, through the integrity process, the Bebop test I've uh, told you about. So in February we expect uh, the names of these 10 state growers who uh, as an experiment will uh, grow and deliver their products to uh, about 80 coffee shops in the Netherlands. There are uh, around about 550 coffee shops in the Netherlands now. So that's something quite new. And uh, we actually um, have advised one of these growers, they first have applied for an exemption for medical cannabis that was successful and now they were selected as one of the growers and we will await if they also pass the integrity test of course. Um, so yeah, that will be more business uh, this year. And then on a for number two, I uh, turn uh, to Gemmel uh, again. It's about uh, financial services. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, so this is a big one. Uh, so entities wishing to perform financial services in the Netherlands will require permission to do so in the form of a license. And these are applied for uh, from the AFM, the Netherlands Authority for Financial Markets, or the DNB, the Dutch Central Bank, depending on the activity in question. So activities that will fall under the umbrella of uh, financial services include giving financial advice, operating as an insurer, operating as a clearinghouse, or interestingly, providing crypto services for virtual currencies. Now, crypto service providers, uh, that's quite a hot topic at the moment. It's a hot topic this week. Uh, it was in the news that Bitcoin uh, reached over $31,000 for the first time in its history. And in the Netherlands, all crypto service providers have to be licensed with the DNB. And the DNB will aim to assess the risks of money laundering and terrorist financing within these organizations. So a crypto service provider itself means a provider of a service to exchange virtual currency for fiduciary currency and also providers of custodial wallets. So these uh, things that store and secure bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies. In assessing the license, the DMB looks at several things. This includes general company data, including whether they, they are in fact a crypto service provider and a copy of information such as their articles of association, the business plan, including the company's strategy, how it's governed, general compliance, including its training and auditing to ensure it is in compliance uh, with its obligations, and then how it will deal with its risks to integrity. These include money laundering and terrorist financing. And it must also have a policy in place uh, which it discusses how it will deal with integrity risks and perform customer due diligence and transaction monitoring amongst other things. In addition, the DMB will look at the policy makers and co-policy makers of the company who will be assessed for fitness, ensuring they basically have the requisite skills and knowledge to hold that position. 
This is a very interesting subject and one that we a license that we uh, predict to be quite a big one in 2021. But moving on to number one, and this is a massive one for 2021, Mark, a massive one in the Netherlands, which is the license for remote gambling. And maybe you could speak a bit further on that. Yes, sure. Licenses for uh, remote gambling will be the big thing in Holland. Um, Actually, we're running behind with other countries where online uh, gambling is already uh, allowed and and licensed, but here it has taken uh, a long time actually. But as from March 1, uh, everybody who's interested to get such a license uh, can apply for it. And um, it will take probably half a year, uh, the whole license procedure. And um, they expect that there will be about 80 or 90 licenses um, granted. They are dealt with by the Dutch Gambling Authority. Uh, The abbreviation on internet is uh, KSA, and you will find a lot of information on their website. So what remote games are uh, then allowed with this license? These are uh, casino games in which the players play against uh, the license holder, casino games in which players uh, play against each other. Then we have betting on events, sport events, so that's sport betting. And then you have the betting on uh, horse races. Other uh, games of chance like lotteries, they are actually actually dealt with um, with the uh, regular rules we already have. The Remote Gambling Act is a new act, and uh, that's the one that comes into force on March 1. If you want to apply for a license, please note that this should be done uh, digitally, and uh, the application is in Dutch, and uh, the application cost will be uh, 45,000 euros. And if the license is not uh, granted, then this money will not be refunded. There is a lot of uh, regulation on this subject uh, on our website, blenheim.nl. You can find various articles on that explaining uh, the procedure. And of course, we can always uh, help you out with that. So that was our uh, top five. And if you are interested in more big licenses, then you have to look uh, to chapter two of the book. I think I should mention that the book is available with Kluwer, that's the uh, publisher. They have a big website. And if you look for uh, business licenses in the Netherlands, the, uh, their site will pop up and it will be available with uh, Kluwer as from today. And I think um, maybe it's interesting, uh, Campbell, that we uh, explain a little what we do as a law firm to help out uh, businesses that wish to apply for licenses in the Netherlands. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, we, we do quite a lot of that. And uh, I already mentioned the, the example um, that we helped out a company for applying for an exemption for medical cannabis. That's one of the things we do. So we, we deal with the regulatory compliance uh, for, for clients that wish to do business here. And uh, there's a lot of regulations, and some of it's maybe completely different uh, from the country uh, someone is operating in. So that's where we help out and try to get things done here. 
and also with regard to uh, incorporation we help out uh, companies we do yeah uh, we regularly assist clients in all stages uh, in the Netherlands from the incorporation of a legal entity to the rollout of the operations of that entity and all the legal aspects involved in this um, I have to say that I think the the book Mark's new book is an extremely helpful guide in assisting parties with business licenses as is evident in the book, the complexity of these processes, as you mentioned, Mark, make it highly recommendable to have a lawyer to assist you throughout this process. And Blenheim's administrative and international teams are here to assist foreign parties throughout the entire stage of applying for licenses in the, ne- in the Netherlands, making this as straightforward as possible and helping with any regulatory compliance issues that arise along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's uh, what we wanted to share with you. Thank you very much for uh, listening and please uh, tune in on our uh, next podcast that will be posted soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.